The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hey, this is Steve Balton. You're here on My Turning Point. This week, joined by The Head and the Heart, who had recently an Amazon film come out about them and their show at the Landmark Pike in Seattle in front of 30,000 fans. Spoke with the guys about being part of Seattle history, about now being part of the San Francisco scene a little bit, making music during COVID, new music, and a lot more. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. All right, well, before we come on to the turning point for you guys, the reason I ask is it's really funny because I'm such a big believer in how environment affects work. And I was just interviewing Sasha Spielberg the other day about her new record, which is wonderful. And she made the record from Northern California, from LA to Northern California to Northern Italy. And so, you know, San Francisco obviously has a very rich but different musical history than Seattle. Mm -hmm. You know, so for you, I'm just curious, have you found being there? that it's, and obviously music and COVID is different because, you know, you're not getting the full, you know, live experience of being out and seeing people in bars and all this and, you know, seeing live music. But are you finding that San Francisco is influencing what you're doing creatively right now? Um, You know, that's honestly one of the main reasons why I keep my spot in Richmond, Virginia is because I tend to write more ballads, more slow paced, more moody things when I go back home to Richmond. And I have like two pianos there. So I'm usually more piano driven when I'm there. Um, Whereas when I'm in San Francisco, um, it's definitely I definitely aim for more up tempo, um, which is also kind of a nice ping pong. I think when I get sick of how moody I am, you know, I try and just like if I start a demo you know, I'll try and click up that BPM just to see if I'm able to go there. Um, but I, I mean, I agree wholeheartedly, especially when it's raining, I mean, it's like Miles Davis in the city and, and during the rain is, is one of my favorite connections. Um, I, I fully, I fully feel like the city's influence where you're at or, or just environment rather. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's been hard to really tap into what's here in that sense. Um, Fortunately, with like the technology side of things, you know, I've, I've got a friend here who's a mixing engineer and he's got a studio that he's been able to keep alive. Um, so I'm going to, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, more so like virtual stuff. Am I still a little connected with people here, but nothing like nothing local music scene, unfortunately, because it's still all online. But yeah. I know it's interesting. And this ties in nicely with the, with the film for both you guys, you know, for yeah. the sort of turning point, uh, you know, which is basically where artists pick a turning point that led them to where they are today. It's so interesting when you're doing a documentary, when you're looking back at something like this, it allows you guys to sort of revisit stuff that you probably wouldn't think about otherwise. So, you know, 
for you guys, what, what, you know, I'm sure, you know, watching this and revisiting the stuff in interviews and playing a show at Pike and, you know, doing all this, I mean, so what was the turning point moment for you guys that you feel led you to where you hear, or I can't fucking talk. I just finished an hour interview and I'm like brain dead, but (laughs) the turning point moment that led you guys to where you are today, you know, for each of you. Chris, I've been running my mouth. You want to, you want to step in? Yeah. I, I, I think about a lot of us like prior to this band had played in, in other bands. I think me and Tyler, probably the most the drummer um, in our group. Um, and I just remember it's like it's so long ago, but I just feel like it's the most, one of the most vivid things is the first time we all practiced together. Um, everyone except for me had been kind of like forming and playing together over the span of like a year. And I just remember, I don't know, we, we might've practiced for like an hour maybe. And it just like from, from the first note to the last note, it felt, it felt comfortable. It felt exciting. And then I feel like by the end of that first rehearsal, there was just like that feeling of like, okay, we're going to do this tomorrow. Right. And the next day and the next day and the next day. And that's kind of one thing that was unique right off the bat when I joined is this was the only thing that anyone wanted to do. Like you, you worked so you could afford a practice space. You worked so you could save money to record. It was just like, everything felt like it was, we were all sort of putting all of our energy inward to this thing. And it's hard because I mean, I played with some really talented people prior to this band and it's just the circumstance of engagement or people just willing to like, you know, go for broke. I feel like that was something that was just super unique with these six people. I think everyone was just completely like, I don't know. It was, it was, it was, it was different than any other group I had played in like from day one, from the first, like, I guess it was a, um, it wasn't a rehearsal. It was a tryout probably or something. <laughs> but I was like, but after the first song, it was like, Oh, this isn't a, I don't think this is a tryout. This is like a practice. Now we're just practicing. Now we're rehearsing, you know? So that, that's, that's one of the like vivid, like moments day. Like, I remember like the day I remember, you know, the weather, like it just felt like a really pivotal. And I know, and I know it's the beginning of the band switch or beginning of like what is now the band. So, but I feel like, yeah, that's, I think that is the, yeah, that was, uh, that was, that was, that's an interesting, interesting period of the band, which I very, very rarely think about anymore. And, and Steve, you're spot on with, with being able to watch a documentary that spans a 10 year up to now, 10 year career. Uh, the things that surprise you are, are surprising um, and or just the things you remember. But I do remember that, like, I mean, basically what, the time that Chris is talking about, I mean, it's, it's funny to me because I kind of forget that for a while, you know, there was be, it was like basically a couple songwriters was myself and Josiah Johnson, um, Kenny Hensley on piano. And I think maybe Charity was involved at that point. Charity Thiel and now Charity Jubay. Um, and we had an, like a revolving door of, of local musicians because essentially our platform was open mics. Like that's where we literally met one another. That's where we would sort of 
try out new material. That's where we would quote unquote open for people, but it was mostly just, you know, there was a, there was a, there was a really good scene of really talented writers, whether you were in your twenties or your sixties and you sort of eventually get to know there was the caliber where it was. And so you get these kind of sweet spot slots. Um, but getting back to the point of like where we really had no idea and strangely enough concern over what the sound was going to end up being. I mean, we basically had enough, we had enough, I don't know if it was, we had enough faith or we just had blinders up in terms of it was me and Josiah writing, writing a lot of music, right. Or excuse me, writing a lot of songs. Um, and some days there'd be trumpets, some days be, there'd be clarinet, there'd be glockenspiel, there'd be a fucking metal drummer with the guy slaying on guitar, or there'd be no drums, there'd be a tambourine by me, or Josiah, or anyone else. Um, and so for a while, there was this very malleable um, sort of uh, sonic impression. And, and, that's, and I remember this day that Chris is talking about, it, and I just remember think, feeling so relieved because it was beginning to get a little exhausting of like high, like not necessarily hiring and firing people, but just the emotional, the emotional roller coaster ride because these were our friends that we were very casually playing with on as many nights as we could in open mics. So to then have to like officially disband them <laughs> and then see them the next night and be like. I'd still love to come up and sing with you though, you know? Um, but, but that was the, Chris was the final piece when it really, it really felt like you no longer had to keep looking around the room going like, does anybody else realize how this guy's not working or this girl's not working? It just clicked when Chris walked in the room and we just started playing and we didn't really have to talk or think anymore. It was a very like, you know, telepathic connection immediately interesting and so but like you say so you know going back and looking at this i mean is this stuff that you had because look I, I mean i talk about this with like i was doing an interview yesterday with Verdine white from earth wind and fire for a project and we were talking about the song september and you know look you don't think about this shit until people have to ask you about you know so for you when you were going back like you don't think about most artists are always looking forward so you don't think about past stuff until you're doing a documentary of greatest hits you know, something of that nature. So for you guys, when you were doing this film and doing this documentary, were there things that emerged that really surprised you or things that, you know, also when you look back on them, now you view them differently? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's the, the viewing them differently is pretty interesting. I mean, just, you know, 10 years of hindsight or, you know, five or six or seven, depending on the, the moment, the memory. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I was, I don't know. I don't know if this is exactly what you're getting at, but like, um, it's almost like I want, <laughs> um, the, the lack of graciousness sometimes where you're, where you see things that you went through or that you did that ultimately affect the other lives in this band. Um, it's pretty easy to think you're right, especially when you're 26, 27 and you know, you're touring around the world and you just got signed to a label and you're going to get signed to another label and people are selling out your shows and you start getting a little, um, I don't know, I guess because when everything is just kind of working and like it's, it's your own perspective, it's, it's, it's easy to uh, forget just, just how fortunate you are to be surrounded by these other five people that are really a, obviously a huge part of making this happen as well. Um, so watching the documentary for me, and, and I don't mean to paint myself like I'm some uh, 
total egomaniac. I don't, I don't think that I am entirely. I mean, we all have ego, but I just think looking back, it was, it was very um, humbling to, to be reminded just how talented everybody in this band is and just how much everyone gave up, you know, to do this. Um, so it wasn't just, you know, it's not just you who, who sometimes is having a shit day on tour and you're going, well, I gave up all this. You know, you look back, you look around you and it's like, man, every fucking person in this band gave up so much to, to be here and the sacrifice that everybody's making is, is helping all of these things have come true. Um, not to get too corny about it, but I don't know. I'm also, you know, 35 now and just the, the respect and like uh, the awareness of, of everyone's uh, contributions and talent in this band is ring pretty loudly watching that documentary. Interesting. Chris, what about for you? Yeah. on record. I love everybody in the band. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like I need to do that, but it, that's what I've been thought of anyway. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Chris, what about for you? What was, yeah, sorry. I kind of got lost, I got lost there. Um, what was the question again? I well, the question was just, you know, going back and looking at this documentary, were there yeah. things that you see differently now or that you just hadn't thought about in a long time that you, you know, kind of, yeah, that, that, that come back up? You know, it, I feel like I get, I get that sensation when I like revisit like old, you know, music videos from the first album or I'll find like a YouTube live video from like 2010 or 2000, you know what I mean? That, that's when I really like look back and I'm like, oh my God, like we were... And that's, that's the, the, the double edge of it is like, I feel like musically we were just kind of crushing it. Like that early, that early energy. But at the same time, as we were like putting all of our effort into music, into shows, touring, like John was saying, there's like this other half of your personality and your, uh, your life that you're just totally neglecting. So it's like this, like there's a, there's a romance of looking back but that's the thing of looking back is you kind of like you, you, you see all the like beautiful moments and you kind of, so I try, I try to, when I look back, when I watch this documentary or look at old videos, I try to like appreciate what, what is happening, what has happened, but also like not sweep under the rug, the things that we could have done better. So, so as we move forward, you try to remind yourself of like those things you you should have done then that you didn't. And it, you know, just trying to bring that into, into, into now and moving forward of like, yeah, you're, you know, you're not just a musician, you're a person, we are all people and you get, you know, so yeah, I don't know if that. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's funny. I mean, I guess Steve, you know, you got us at the the nine month mark of a pandemic when we've had so much time to reflect um, I don't know that we've ever done an interview that's been so, so, uh, graciously giving to our, ourselves and our band members, but it's something we've been thinking about so much lately. And, you know, it's quite frankly, I feel like it, musically it's sort of getting to a point where enabled to really pivot the way you really want to, or not even pivot, but just be honest and be as clear and, and pure as you as you need to be to make another album when live when multiple things are going on in your life you need those relationships to actually be there needs to be a foundation for you to really just be able to let go of baggage and be direct and be clear and honest with each other so we've been doing a lot of like focusing in on that and 
And to top it all off, then we have this documentary being released where other people are sort of joining us in that conversation. Um, but it's something that we've been doing for the first time in years, if, if, if not ever. I mean, our, our, um, I almost feel like we went, we've, we've come to the end of the row where you can just sort of like only focus on music and expect the other person to walk on stage with you. Which you is know what's so Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's a good thing. I feel like we finally, we needed this break in a weird way, you know what I mean? To, to get to the next step. Well, it's, it's funny because that's just what I was going to say is the other thing about it too is how long has it been since you guys have all been together in the same place? Yeah. What was it? February when we were in Nashville? Yeah. It's just so, about a year. Yeah, almost a year. Wow. So I'm sure it's also just one of those things where, you know, in terms of the graciousness to the bandmates and stuff. Yeah. You guys probably also actually fucking miss each other for once when, you know, because you have it like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, have yeah. You, and it's funny because I, t- I talk about that with so many people and I've done so many interviews in quarantine, you know, and it's like you get so many new appreciations for things in different perspectives. And I'm sure, you know, after years of being on the road together and then not actually getting to be, you know, and it's like I mentioned, you know, Mike and Brandon from Incubus earlier, they're friends. I remember when they took a five-year break between records. I was talking with Flea about it when the Chili Peppers took five years off. And it's like, you miss each other. Those breaks also invigorate stuff. So do you find as well that you guys are excited now going forward and that you're more excited for new music because you, while this break wasn't planned, you know, you now have had this year where you guys can't even be in the same place. Yeah, I think yeah. like to like I think we we have historically pushed ourselves pretty hard with touring, and I think you know when you're especially when you're young, you just kind of you see these opportunities and you don't want them, you don't want to let them go. So really early on and pretty much into the pandemic, we toured pretty heavy, and it just doesn't give you much time like you appreciate it and you're thankful for it and but it doesn't give you much time to like reflect on it and like when you're around people all the time I'm sure we are all experiencing that <laughs> like there's things coming up and it really this break really I think I feel like we're gonna you know if and when touring starts up again I feel like we're gonna really appreciate it and do it better as far as not just like going out for four months in a row, like spacing it right. So we continue to appreciate it. Um, I think, I think we're going to do touring better (laughs) once, (laughs) once, once we can again. (laughs) So what, what does that entail though? What is doing touring better entail? I'm curious. Well, I think part of it is what we're doing now of just communicating better and, you know, from having, you know, day one, when you show up for rehearsal or whatever, everyone just being on a, on a, better level of communication, having relationships stronger. Um, so we're working on that now to when we start. And then just, again, trying to tour less. So you don't, you know, the burnout of tour is very real. Um, so simply just spacing it out a little more, putting in some more breaks. Maybe if you're going to go out for a month, throw a couple more days off. So you just, you know, so you don't burn yourself out so much. Um, yeah. I re- I remember, um, like, I remember, like, thinking, especially um, maybe that first five-year period, Chris, which is kind of what you were t- t- touching on a little bit, where it's like, 
you know, every single time you get some update or some inquiry of someone to offer you, whether it's a festival or a late night TV show or a European opening tour that pops up about a week or two at the end of your now tour and you're going, oh my God, this is a terrible idea, but what if it doesn't happen again? So you say yes. Um, all of those things. Um, but I remember thinking in those times, like being very uh, a little anxious about what happens when I'm supposed to be expected to have a solid relationship with my girlfriend or fiance or have children. And is that going to take away from this artistic uh, arc? And the, and the irony and beautiful thing about it is that actually it, it helps it. Right. You know what I mean? Like it actually, it self imposes these pillars of health and time that forces you to slow down and the, and the irony there is that you actually needed that break so you can reflect and you never would have assumed that that would have been okay or a good thing. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, I enjoy, I'm so happy that we can continue to be just as curious and as hungry as artists and still have families. <laughs> you know what I mean? Growing up and like broken home kid, you know, like moved his ass all the way across the country, met these people. I mean, the amount of things that could have been chalked up to luck or it's just, or whatever, fate, you know, you kind of become a little bit of a um, superstitious person. And so it's so, it's so, uh, I don't know, it's so relieving to see everyone. I mean, the multiple people in this band are, are married or having children. And I think we're more curious and, and more adventurous than we've ever been as artists. So it's, it's so exciting to see that. Well, that ties back in. Well, you know what? Before we come back into the future stuff, I'm just curious. You know, it's an interesting thing, too, because I talk about this with people all the time. When you're on stage, you're in the midst of a show. You know, similar to what I was talking about with the, the you know, you're present with the documentary and not looking back. You're present in the moment. So watching the concert footage, you know, and I'm sure there's like a, a feeling when you're playing to 30,000 people at Pike Place Market, you know, on the roof, you know, where you're kind of like, it's just fucking surreal. So you're like, wait, how did we get here? So you're not really focusing on it at that moment. So when you went back and watched the concert footage, were there songs that particularly stood out to you that you appreciated? Or were there things that, you know, of the show that you were just like, oh, because I remember talking about it so many years ago with Genesis when they did a live DVD. And they're like, we don't watch ourselves on stage. We can't, you know, it's only, you know. Right. Spot on, dude. I've, I've, this is going to sound irrelevant, but it's not. I just recently started getting into uh, sports and basketball. And watching watching this live documentary, I'm like, dude, I need to start watching tape after every show. Maybe not after every show, <laughs> but the amount that I that I perceive, the, the amount of, I, I had memories of when I was doing those songs on that stage and the things that I thought I was doing or doing well, I give myself maybe a C plus watching it back. <laughs> So, yeah. Anyways, Chris, you you got anything for it? No, I I agree. I think that's one thing that most interviews I've listened to, read, heard, I think most musicians are that way where it's like, I'm not going to like listen back or watch myself or, and that's part of the art of it is you're just like, you're you're in the moment and you're releasing it and then you're moving on. But I do hear you. I feel like, like we kind of started doing this on the last tour before, before the pandemic where we'd have our front of house engineer, like record the shows. And I would go in the next, you know, the next morning in the next venue and have him just play back some stuff. And it's the same thing. He's like, it's like, I thought, I thought what I was doing sounded like this and it doesn't. 
And yeah. it's, maybe it sounds like that on stage, but that's not how it's translating. So I need to tweak some stuff to make, to make it sound like it needs to be, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just amazing. Like it's like in the studio when you're recording, you don't just like play the song. You're like, it felt great. Let's keep going. It's like, no, you, you yeah. listen back. Come on in guys. Yeah. Yeah. You go in and you, and you talk about it. You fine tune it. You change that tone. You tune the drum. You play, it's like, but somehow with, with live performance, I feel like musicians just don't do that at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm seeing a lot of value in it. I think it's not for everybody, I think, but uh, I am looking forward to doing more of it. The video thing was, was interesting too, because that's not normally, we don't normally have that accessible. Um, but as far as audio, I, I feel like that's something I'm yeah. definitely going to like pursue moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been, uh, it's, yeah, oh, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> it's probably nothing. nothing. I, I, I have all this neck pain and I'm like, where the fuck is this coming from? And I watch myself on stage and I have a slight hunch that I do. And I've been thinking about this. I remember when I was in the seventh grade, this is probably random. And I was like one of those kids that just shot up and became super tall before everybody else. And it was very uncomfortable. And I remember always trying to like kind of duck my head down. So I wasn't like this freak in the, in the hallways. This has nothing to do with the story, and I'm so sorry. But I just remember, <laughs> I watching that video, I was like, "Huh, I wonder if I've been doing that since I was like self conscious as a kid of being the tall person." And there I am on stage, just kind of hunching over, and it's exactly where my neck hurts. I'm so sorry to waste everyone's time on that. No, but I, I like think I figured it out. <laughs> I feel like you almost have like a um, a Liam Gallagher, like like. <laughs> It's sort of a side up. It's yeah. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> That's good, man. You got to do you. Do you, but. Every, you, you. Yeah, I guess you're gonna have something. Whatever. It yeah. is, whatever it is, you got to embrace it. I guess. All right. Yeah. So for you guys, were there particular songs that stood out or that you appreciated watching the show? Or, or were there songs that you just like, because again, you're doing a song live, you're, you're in the midst of it. You're, you know, you're watching yeah. the crowd reaction. You're, you're not sitting there. So you're like, oh shit, that sounds better than we thought. Or, you know, maybe you give yourself a B minus versus a C plus. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. Go ahead, Chris. I thought just, um, it was almost more like song choice, but um, starting the show with Down in the Valley it just, uh, we don't, we don't normally do that for shows. It just doesn't, it doesn't have that like excitement that you want to bring in for, for like a, a normal show. But that's what was great about the Pike Place show was it just, there's nothing normal about it. And so just like leaning into the fact that it's, it's, I don't want to say more special because they're all special, but it was just more unique than most shows or any show we've ever played. So just like with with song choice, I, I thought we just did a great job. And just hearing, I don't know, that song just it just oh. it sort of just made the connection after three notes on the acoustic guitar that like what this was supposed to feel like, and it just matched the feeling and matched the things leading up to that that show. Um, That's really yeah, helpful to just, hear. <laughs> Because I have so much anxiety over that. <laughs> Every single fucking time I watch it, I'm like, what were we thinking? There's no energy. It's literally like, ah, you're on a fucking roof. And then it's like, thank you so much. 
<laughs> it's the scariest moment of my life. Every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, don't show the audience. Don't show the audience because everyone's like, I, you know, it's like there's, they're playing on a roof and then it's like, oh, we're going to settle in. And I think you're right, Chris. I, 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 I want to not feel anxious about that. But I just, man, it's, it's one of the scariest moments to me because like Chris has been saying, Steve, typically we come out with like four or five bangers in a row. You know, you think about whether it's a club or even a theater and people are standing up and they're packed in. Whether it's just a self-confidence boost that we need or we think the audience wants, we typically go like four or five rounds of like jammers and then we drop into another story typically. That's when I can like breathe, which is right around song five or probably something like that with another story. Um, so to go right into pure harnessing of just bing, ding, ding, it was just like the scariest moment of my, moment of my, of my life. So thank you, Chris, for, <laughs> for freeing me of that fear. Good. You no. thought it went well. I'm happy to hear that. I thought it was great. And like by the end, it just felt like um, the connection had been made with the audience where it was, it felt like we were all there with the same feelings or something with the same emotions yeah. after that. It just, yeah, I liked it. All right. Now wait for each of you guys, you know, just as music fans, I'm curious as we're talking about this, what to you is the best opening song in music? Like when you see a live show, what's that song that Great, just, what? you know, fucking just sets the place on fire? Not literally, obviously, but yes, figuratively. Yeah. <sighs> that I've seen or that or or like literally or like what would I want to hear <laughs> either or both either or um ooh when I saw um you two on the Joshua Tree tour they played the album in its entirety and just opening with that, like they open with streets have no, where the streets have no name. And just like that, I think it's a Moog, um, the Moog foot pedals that the bass player is playing. It's just, it's literally just those chords in a really low register. And you just like, I remember just like getting just goosebumps before the guitar even came in, which is like a most, you know, most iconic guitar riff ever or something. It's just hearing those like that deep frequency. It was at um, Bonnaroo just hit, feeling that frequency hit you. And then like, it was just like, oh man, what a, that's just such a, I, you know, epic song. And they don't, I don't think they ever open with that. I don't, I, I guess I don't know, but um, no, because they're they doing actually, the album. Cause I saw six times on the 87 tour. I'm a YouTube really? psycho fan. And yeah, oh. that was always the opening. cell. okay. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I, but no, it's, it's amazing. The, I know what you say. Yeah. That, yeah. That song is just like, Man, how do you, how do we write that? <laughs> how do we get that? So far? <laughs> no, it's just so rad that you, I, I probably, I probably watched Rattle and Hum about a million times, but. I was um, there. What? Really? Where? Yeah. Uh, oh, dang. Yeah, because I lived in California at the time and, and, you know, was first year of college. So we, we traveled, took a road trip to see those shows because, you know, it's so funny. They sold it for like, Five, you know, the tickets were five dollars each because they wanted to make sure the shows were sold out for the yeah. That's so wild. That's so cool. Oh man, I, I was uh, 
I was, I was just checking song titles and I, I don't know that I necessarily found it, but it, it, there's a pl- pl- venue here in San Francisco called the independent. It's right on the Visadero. It's like this just solid, I don't know, probably 11, 1200 cap club. If that, um, uh-huh. and one of our friends who actually used to do lights for us, um, uh, does lights for the independent when he's home or used to anyways. Um, so he would, I would always like anytime, you know, I saw somebody coming through that I was a fan of or was wanted to go to a show. I'd text him and be like, Hey man, you doing lights tonight? Can you get me and my fiance in or whatever? Which is maybe a little douchey because <laughs> <laughs> you can afford to get into the fucking club, but I don't know. It was just like a personal commu- you know, connection thing. Like, Hey, you working, you know? Um, but Patrick Watson, uh, is Canadian dude. I think he's from Montreal. Maybe, um, he's, he's just got one of those very, uh, captivating kind of smoky, mysterious voices. Um, his, his album, uh, love songs, love songs for robots. Um, is something I was listening to a lot when we were actually writing for signs of light and outside of El Paso on Sonic ranch. Um, and anyway, so I, I, I had never seen him live because from Montreal and it was just like, what are the odds? I'm never going to, anyways, he was coming in on tour and we went to the show and I don't know if it's so much as like, what is the first song for me? It's more like, what is the presentation as the show begins to un- unravel itself to me is like, what is the most exciting thing, whether I'm the one performing it or the one watching it, like, uh, what's the stage look like? Is, is everybody on stage at first? Um, you know, their state, their set, their stage set and design was very compelling before anybody even watched on stage. Same thing when I see LCD sound system, I'm just, I'm already having a great time before they walk on stage because their stage setup is like Radiohead and LCD sound system are my favorite the way a stage looks because they have just stacks and stacks of analog synths. There's like every, it looks like a, pra- a rehearsal space out of New York on stage when you go on and you can see LCD sound system. Anyways. So Patrick Watson, it just has this really mysterious like vibe. He's like kind of sitting at the piano. There's, um, I'm not going to do a very good job of this, but I guess what I love is like this sort of super moody, like almost theatrical and like, Un, un, unveiling of of a musical set like I, I guess also seeing somebody for the first time like I've heard these in headphones had no idea what this person looked like even and and how do they perform this song like I know how the song builds but so, you know sometimes you see a band and it's just there's no emphasis on that it's just like the song happens um anyway so seeing Patrick Watson play was just such a yeah it kind of felt like theater it felt like kind of going to see a play um and it was a very their 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 like engineering techniques on stage was very cool it wasn't it was you could tell like it was a it was going to be a challenge for the front of house guy because he was like trying to use his basically a um uh a a condenser mic on his vocals and a piano instead of like dynamic mic so he's got a drummer on stage right next to him he's got this he's got like a fucking you, you know 87 on his vocals and he's playing piano and it feels very natural and roomy um you could tell he was like fighting with sound the whole show, which I love because you have to be in it. Um, I don't think I'm answering your question necessarily, but um, <laughs> that's, I guess that's what I get off on when I'm watching somebody come out on stage. It's like, how are they setting the tone? What is the show going to be? You can kind of tell, I guess you can't really always tell from the first song, but Patrick Watson did it for me. That's no, a I, I know what very you're saying. long it was answer. Like the- 
there's an electricity when certain artists yeah. come on stage. Like the way that they just built, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it's not always just about the song. There's like, yeah. you know, like it's funny because, you know, Chris, I remember seeing you too one time. The last show in 87, I saw them at the sports arena. They did three nights at the sports arena. Um, I, they did five nights at the sports arena. I went to three of them. And the wow. last show, every show, every show, they would come out to John Lennon's Stand By Me. You know, which is just one of the greatest songs of all time. But the last show with the lights still on, they just walked out with Stand By Me still playing. And it's like, so it didn't matter what they were playing. It was just the place just fucking went nuts. Yeah. yeah. You know, so there's an answer, like the way that people introduce themselves. I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. That's, God, I haven't said that. That more than almost watching anything is, is I'm now so excited to play live music again. You know what I mean? Like just having every single night you get to try it again. Every single night you get to remember like, okay. Cause we, we started opening with living Mirage, uh, which is the, the, well, our last album initially was sequenced with living Mirage being the opening track. And then we sort of rearranged things. And then we, re, we then released the complete recordings and we kind of like a director's cut. We did the sequencing that we were feeling. And the first song on that is living Mirage. And it's this kind of moody unraveling of a song. It's very sparse in the beginning. I always see lots of blue, personally. I don't know if that's what we did live or not. Um, yeah, I don't really know where I'm going with that. But um, that's kind of what I miss the most right now. It's just like every single day. I remember like I'd go on a jog after a sound check, and every single jog, I would remember what I loved before of the night before and what I want to try to fix. Sometimes those aren't even really a possibility because of someone else's mood or the, or the, or the, you know, the restrictions of a venue or what's the audience like? Is it like, um, you know, is it one of these places that has like wealthy annual ticket holders and you're like, maybe tonight's not the night to try that thing out. But just those like little fixes you get to try every single night of being on stage and God, I miss that. (laughs) Totally. It's like, it's not, it's not like a, you know, we don't do like choreography or nothing, but you definitely want to, you want to put on a good show and you want to like think about how to make it, you know, feel thematic. And it is like a fun sort of byproduct of touring or of making music is you get to like think about this performance, which is, yeah, I agree. I kind of, I miss that. Cool. So, so, I feel like we've covered a lot of stuff. Is there are, anything that you guys want to add that we did not talk about? I guess my only question would be what, you know, is there a dream place to do the, that first show back that, that first, you know, cause I mean, basically one of the last shows you did, I don't know if it was the last show, but was doing the rooftop of Pike place. So how do you top that? What's next? I, I think you start, I think you, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say I, where I live is, is pretty close to this venue called the gorge. It's like, uh, oh, yeah, this outdoor venue it's it's like uh we've just had some really special shows there it's kind of like it's a hometown even though it's outside of seattle it feels like a hometown northwest show and it's just like such a destination for people that are just really trying to enjoy themselves you know it's just it's no one's going there to like i don't know i'm not sure if i like this band let's see you know it's like people are going to That's a good have a good time, experience something, you know, unique. Anyway, 
that would be a fun. I think I just want to play there again. Um, maybe it's not the first show, but I feel like that could be a really special, like, could be a special yeah. way to start it off again. That's one of my favorite venues. It's funny, like, almost on the other end of the spectrum, one of my things that I've been thinking about, because I walk by the independent all the time, you know, and you see these boarded up windows and you see these, like, save live music flyers. And one of the first things I really want to try and do, whether it's feasible or not, we got to figure this out. But like, you know, just like a like I would ideally like a nationwide underplay, three nights in these like five five hundred to twelve hundred cap rooms, and just go through that like to go through the fear and the joy and the. Getting, getting the rust off together with face to face with fans, like be forced to, to shrug off this dust directly under the microscope with people. Because I think any other way, like you're, you're, it's going to happen, right? I mean, you're going to have to remember how to do this. You're going to have to remember how to re-engage with humans, with strangers. And, you know, you get kind of used to doing that, but like, we're going to have to relearn to do that. And I want to do that. I want to do that with people because I would imagine people are also going to go through this social anxiety of like, what the fuck do we do now? I can see your face. You're standing very <laughs> close to me. And I don't know how to feel about that. Like, I just want to take all of that anxiety and emotion that the audience is going to feel that we're going to feel. And I just want to put it in the smallest room as possible and <laughs> just hash it out. You know what I mean? Those shows would be so powerful. So, but I feel you gorge. That would be like a lovely, like final stop. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like a, like just, we did it. We're back. Now you can go camp and, and we'll be on stage. <laughs> I love the fact that you said that though, by the way, about the underplays, because uh, and we'll wrap up on this, but that's been a really interesting thing is to see how people are going to handle things differently. And I was talking about with Brandy Carlisle, who I'm sure you guys know very, 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 very well. And we were talking about it a couple months ago. And we were saying, like she was saying, you know, we were talking about how people have different perspectives on everything now. And she's like, I don't give a shit about the Target Center or, you know, places like that. She's like, those are the places, you know, people are now thinking about like the Troubadour here in LA yeah. or the 930 Club or whatever. And I was like, but what do you do? I'm like, because you can't, you know, Brandy Carlisle can't go do a month of shows at the Troubadour. And she's like, well, maybe I will. You know, so I do think it's going to be interesting to see how people will... I feel like touring will be a little different. Do you guys think that as well? Or do, when you think about, you mentioned, or that's kind of what I was getting at earlier when I was asking you, Chris, how you thought touring would be different is I think we are going to see a little bit of a shift in it because, you know, the like, again, there's been such an emphasis, like, you know, Jonathan, you mentioned the nine third, I mean, the independent, mm -hmm. there's such a premium now placed on those places that, you know, we're kind of not neglected, but as you get bigger, you're just like, oh, well, you know, been there, can't play there anymore. Yeah, I don't think, I think whether it's internally as a group or like collectively, I don't think, I don't think touring is going to like, like go back to normal. I don't, I don't think you're just going to like play the place they tell you to play and, you know, do, you know, I feel like people are going to want to make it more special and more unique for themselves and for the audience. Um, yeah, I would totally agree. Like, just like going through the motions of like, oh, there's that, you know, venue yeah. that you're supposed to play in this city. And it's like, but you hate that venue. Like, why are you going, why do you keep going back to that venue that like, sounds like trash, but it's like, what? I, yeah, I think, I think everyone's going to become more just involved or selective and making things special and unique. 
rather than just that big, yeah. you know. I feel like it's almost become like a social obligation or like a, as an artist, I mean, you know, there's like, there's like very real repercussions if you just, if you don't really think about or, or intentionally do something right now, because there are things that are fading away that very few people have control over, over helping. But I guess I'm really specifically thinking about independent venues and independent promoters, but you know, if we don't, if you don't nurture that or take care of those people, I mean, that's a, they're going to go away and be a massive part of like how we, you know, those first shows you get to see as a teenager, do you really want to see somebody at fucking Staples Center? No, you don't. <laughs> you want to go to that shitty, smelly club that, you know, your fake ID or the back door got you in, you snuck in, and you may have slammed some stranger's beer, and you puked on the, in the alley. Like, those have to be there. Those need to be alive. And, and other than artists and musicians, there are not too many people looking out for those people anymore. And so, yeah, I just feel like there's more of an obligation now to really take take these things into consideration with what we do what we as the collective we of artists when they come back out otherwise who else is going to be taking care of them so cool last question for each of you one word answer or however long about it who, who is for you the dream artist to see in the small venue alive or dead uh, either one but alive right now like that one sure. artist that you would <laughs> um Ooh, you know, I've never seen them, and I would love to see them in a small venue, Modest Miles. Okay. Ooh, seen it. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I guess this is like, I feel like seeing someone like, I don't know, like Post Malone or something. Just some oh, like, cool. like, something that is, could be so wild potentially in a small venue. Mm -hmm. I feel like that would be, that'd be like really cool. <laughs> and maybe it's not Post Malone, but I don't know. Someone that's like putting out some like pretty interesting, unique, wild energy in a, in a small, yeah, troubadour. Like what if Post Malone played the troubadour? That'd be dope. I'd be, <laughs> so, be there in our That'd be so fun. I don't I mean, know. I can see a world like, where Modest Mouse and, and Post Malone would play the same venue on the same night, see, the same bill. Post Malone and Modest Mouse are putting it out into the world right now. <laughs> Let's make it happen. I can see that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's something... I mean, it's funny because I talked about this with... Um, or I was doing this for a fourth story when I was doing a story on the Save Our Stages. And it's like, you know, look, everybody has the hometown one, that place that's special for you. So for me growing up in LA, it is the Troubadour. I mean, I saw Nine Inch Nails there. That was... Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was... Unreal. I saw wow. Mumford and Sons play two o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday night when Tom Morello and Mark Hoppus came out and jammed with them. But oh the best one of God. all was I saw Carol King and James Taylor revisit, like they did a, a series of six shows there where they only did stuff pre-71. So it was just Carol King doing Tapestry and James Taylor doing wow. Sweet Baby James. Wow. You know? So there are those shows that are just dream ones that, you know, but I love the idea of, of going back to the small places and celebrating those. And, and yeah. <laughs> cool. What do you guys want to add? We didn't talk about, cause we touched on a lot. I know. I guess the one question, I, the only question I didn't ask you is, is there a timeline for new music coming? Cause you said you've been writing. Right. All right. <laughs> there is. Well, the timeline is, is a little, 
it's not definitive yet, but the new music we've been working, we have been working on new music. We essentially, you know, before anybody could predict the pandemic, uh, we had this notion of going, we basically took time to write when, well, let me start over, whatever. We were going to be working in person with a few different producers, which we were very excited about. And it was just like sort of experiment to try to really try four or five different guys with one or two songs a piece of these, of these producers. And we were, we essentially realized that there, it wasn't going to be safe. We couldn't travel. Let's take the money from that. We were going to spend on flights, hotels, wrenching of the, the studio and, and disperse it through the band and purchase gear. So we we all basically kind of went, uh, not totally unanimous across the board, but essentially all got interfaces and made sure everybody had a laptop and decent pair of headphones, maybe some speakers with that budget so that we could continue to write, but do it virtually. And we had no idea if it was going to work. And in a way, well, it was challenging. You know what I mean? It was challenging, but we, we really have started to figure it out. And, and we've through that process, we've been able to still work with these producers. Thankfully they were all very open to giving this a go. Um, and through that process, we kind of have been zeroing in on ones that we really connect with. Um, and, and it's, it's starting to work. Chris has, I feel like you've got some perspective. No, I mean, I think, I think, um, yeah, I feel like we're, it took, you know, it took us a year, but I think we're onto something. (laughs) And And it, you know, the learning curve of audio is just, brutal you know you're learning we're learning how to record you know no one's like gone to school for it or no one's you know so we're kind of just we started at zero and i am impressed of how much we how much quality recordings we did as we were like really starting to learn and now i just think we're just getting better and better at it to where i you know i know we'll get back into a room obviously and and play and record again but this has just become such a viable way to exchange ideas. You can just with the technology, you just, you can do it so like seamlessly. It feels like, or it's becoming that way as we are learning, you know, more and more. Um, and I think we're getting recordings that I don't think would be any better if we were in a room doing it, you know, it's, which is a pretty impressive thing. I think when I look, when I listen to some of these songs that are pretty, that are done, um, and that's not for every song, you know, sometimes you just got to be in a room to, yeah, to, to I was, I was happen, you know, yeah. but, um, but we're, we're making do with the situation and I think doing it pretty well, which is like, again, to our credit of just learning a whole new trade, essentially. I mean, we're not pros, we're not, you know, but we're, we're collaborating with people that are that are really talented and, and helping us sort of make it get to the, to, to the point where it sounds incredible, you know? That's, yeah, I'll add one more thing to it. I feel like that's something that's really in, uh, um, whatever, really exciting and really like um, beautiful to see is that I feel like this pandemic has been so disarming for a lot of really sometimes, whether it's real or perceived walled off, individuals you know what i mean like some of these producers who could be working with and maybe still are working with some of the biggest names in 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 the world we're we're zooming with them (laughs) we're learning some of their tricks they're 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 investing in in one or two of our songs at a time um 
And whereas you just think of otherwise, like how the hell are you going to get in a room with that guy unless your 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 label is willing to fork out hundreds of thousands of dollars to to record an album with this person? It's really it's really cool to be able to kind of hop the fences and knock on like this person's door for a week or two or three, um, and then be like, cool, thank you for your time. We love this. We got one or two great songs out of it, and then you get to go and you get to try it all over again with someone else. I am really curious to see how it, this process sort of forces this evolution of like what, because like you were saying, certain songs, Chris, it's almost like we know what songs are, I guess maybe subconsciously, like let's, let's try and only work on that, assuming we can get that together in person. So it is starting, it, this, this process is sort of shaping what music is sounding like, what, what songs are really, we're able to really um, attack and, and approach well with this scenario. I'm curious to see, not just with our band, but in bands in general, how this is going to shape music that's coming out. Is it going to be an EP? Like, is this the, is this the studio EP? And then there's going to be a live track EP from us. Who knows? You know, is it going to be single an album? Who knows? I'm excited. It just feels malleable again and like disarming across the board. Um, so, so a little silver lining for hopefully the tail end of a pandemic. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. I mean, no one knows what's going to, I was joking about it with artists in the yeah. beginning. They, you know, they were writing so much and I was like, I can't remember who I was interviewed, but we were talking about the fact, you know, they were writing. I'm like, cool. Does that mean we're going to see like the eight CD pandemic box set? And they were just <laughs> laughing. But I think, you know, yeah. everyone have very different output from, from this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> totally. Cool. Well, Post Malone, Modest Mouse. Let's make it happen. Yeah, I was thinking about it. I kind of want to change my answer. Not that it's, it's uh, <laughs> matters. <laughs> But I've been like, I've been listening to a lot of Pat Metheny. Like, I don't know if you're familiar. It's just like, yeah, of course. Yeah. I've just been really into how he sort of spliced um, technology with like organics. Like, the rec, like his records, like, I'm kind of focused in on like the mid to late 80s. And they're just so wild. Like, the things he was doing, the weird sounds he was creating with this, like, um, MIDI guitar through a Roland like amp. I don't know. I'm just, if I could like sit in the front row and just like look, I, I would just like stare at the gear on stage. I think, I think I would just be so fascinated. Um, so why not and I just look, Post Malone and Modest Mouse and Pat Metheny? Yeah. Guest starring. <laughs> I mean, that the- does make sense. Honestly, <laughs> I could see him playing with both of those guys. I, Wait, I could see. <laughs> Let's rephrase this. The guest starring? No, because it's funny. Of all interviews I did last year, of the 8,622 interviews I did last year, probably the one that I was most personally geeked out on was George Benson. You know, because I mean, you're talking icon and I, I love jazz and just like I have respect for people who've been around that long. So just to rephrase, it would be Post Malone and Modest Mouse. You know, it'd be Pat Metheny with special guests, Post Malone and Modest Mouse. I don't care what Good the call. hierarchy is. Good of call. Big sales. Good you know, matters uh, to me. I also just love the idea of, of, of Pat's crowd coming because they're buying tickets to see him and the special guests are fucking Modest Mouse and Post Malone and they're just going, what the fuck did we come to, honey? <laughs> God, that'd be amazing. All right. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, you guys. Yeah. This was fun. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, it was a lot of Thank fun. You. Thank you so much, man. Cool. Thanks, you guys. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. Yeah, you too. Bye. Hey, Chris. Hey, this is Steve Balton. You've been here on My Turning Point with special guest, The Head and the Heart. 
So if you don't know what to make of it, then we will not relate. Think about a bicycle. It takes balance to get where you want to go. Now think about business. Whatever your business or organization, you ride the line between numbers and people. Just like the bike, it takes balance. CLA CPAs, consultants, and wealth advisors. Let CLA. We'll get you there. Clifton Larson Allen LLP Investment Advisory Services are offered through Clifton Larson Allen Wealth Advisors LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Sometimes you need to take control to make a difference. That's why with FlexPath from Capella University, you're in control. Set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move at a pace that works for you. Discover a different way forward at capella.edu. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 